0: Welcome to the Vortex Nation podcast, brought to you by lovers of hunting, shooting, public lands, the Second Amendment, and good food.
1: What is up, everybody? Uh, Coming in hot here, because the weather is actually getting hot. We went about 0 to 80 degrees, I feel, around here, Jim. But we're also coming in hot, because we're going to talk about a couple of our favorite things here at Vortex. Vortex. And that's hunting and man's best friend. Now, I know a lot of folks out there have brand new dogs this year. Jim, you've got a new pup that that you're getting trained up. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So, across from us, digitally, virtually, two experts In the dog training slash retriever hunting arena, we've got uh, Chad Belding from the Fowl Life, and we've got Brad Arrington from Mossy Pond Retrievers. Now, Chad, it sounds like you've run a lot of your dogs through uh, Brad's programs, and it sounds like these programs are just stellar for building the ultimate retriever. So we are just absolutely pumped to talk about all this stuff. But before I ramble on forever... Chad, you've been on the podcast before. Brad got a first timer here, which is awesome. We're super stoked to have you. So let's go, I guess, from our right to left. Uh, Brad, tell us a little bit about Mossy Pond and and what you have going on there. Well, thank you all for having me on
2: this morning. Uh, Yeah, we're a retriever training business. Uh, We started in 03. I started the business myself right out of high school and um, grew the business through the years. And we have evolved into a, um, a plantation where we can, and the, how we got into that is through training dogs. We actually started hunting on our place with our customers that would come in and start learning how to operate their dogs. So we started taking these guys out hunting where they would understand how to operate their dog. And if they got in a bind, one of our trainers, myself, or one of the trainers would be there to educate them and show them how to discipline the dog or correct the dog or show the dog or teach the dog how to do the task at hand without getting fouled up or and and the handler you know teach the handler you know that seems like that's the biggest problem is just making sure that um, that handler is um, the communication is properly uh, done so we 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 started by training dogs then we got into hunting and now we we train from 100 to 130 dogs year-round uh, we also have a place in New York, Newburgh, New York, that we um, summer up there with our competition dogs. But we, we do from obedience dogs for small breeds um, all the way up to, you know, your gun dogs, your advanced gun dogs, your, and all the competitions. You know, we run um, um, UKC hunt test, AKC hunt test, the SRS, field trials, you name it. Um, we also do all the gun dog breeds, the, the pointing breeds. Uh, so um, we are we are all up in the dog business, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, you guys definitely yeah, no have doubt. a deep deep lineup of of programs there. And then, Chad, real quick, tell us a little bit about what you have going on, and maybe how maybe how you met Brad.
3: Yeah, we had you know the hunting industry is so small in a way to where the networking is pretty awesome, and you know one duck hunter led to another duck hunter, and one of my buddies in, in Missouri said, hey, I want you to meet this guy brad from mossy pond in georgia so we started putting together some phone calls and one thing led to the next we were hunting in texas and he brought a dog out there and showcased him and we filmed on tv with a major league baseball player named andrew Kashner. and i was just so just so impressed with the the professionalism and the communication and the what these dogs were able to do and it just kind of motivated me to get more ingrained it's easy to cut corners when you have so much going on. And I felt like at that time in my hunting career, one of the corners I was cutting was um, the sporting dog or duck dog, if you would. And Brad and his team down there, he's got some amazing trainers that work with him. Um, his wife, Ellen, they, they run a, a business and a program and more than more importantly, just like a, a camaraderie. And they make you feel like family once you're part of it. And to me, a dog is man's best friend, like you started with Mark, but it's also a conservation tool. And I want to be prepared on every hunt to, to, uh, be ethical and show compassion and respect for the resource and the animals. I don't believe in leaving cripples in the field. I don't believe in giving up on cripples because it happens. One might get caught in crossfire. One might, you know, be tougher than we think that our ammo is. And these dogs can do things that a human being would never be able to do with their accuracy with their nose with their ability to never ever give in and they just find the birds and to see it done the proper way and what brad and his team does with these dogs i was absolutely blown away and here we are seven or eight years later i just received a video this morning from one of brad's trainers clark kennington he's he's working one of my dogs axel down there who's a master hunter a hunter retriever champion and he sent me some videos that, literally, I have goosebumps talking to you, no pun intended. Like, I'm fired up to watch Axel again. And when Brad mentioned SRS and, and things of that nature, I'm excited to see where this career of these dogs have the potential to go. And we owe a lot of it to Mossy Pond, and the relationship has been beneficial on both sides, and I'm very proud of it. That's cool, man. No, I
1: can mm-hmm. I can feel your excitement. Your goosebumps gave me goosebumps. That's a, I mean, that's that's super cool. you got cool. a hair trigger
0: on your goosebumps. I, yeah, I get excited, Jim. Uh, a little premature. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's uh, it really is amazing what all the uh, what what a dog can do, and you know you've got you've got so many different kinds of breeds and so many different specialties that that they can all sort of get themselves into. Of course, there's some dogs it seems that just end up being sort of Swiss Army knife of all the, sorts of different things. But going through a uh, a place that actually trains them professionally year round, like you guys do there at at Mossy Pond, is is really cool. And I think, you know, a lot of people out there who hunt, they, I mean, many of them have a dog and they think, boy, wouldn't it be really awesome if this dog could join me on some hunts and, and really know, like if, if I could know how to communicate with it and get it to do certain things that I really am, I want it to do, but it takes, it takes quite a bit of work to get there. What, uh, what is it, what is it like for somebody who is sending a dog, to a place like you guys there at Mossy Pond, like what, what do they have to expect if they're going to go, go that route of, you know, not doing it themselves, sending it to you guys, which honestly is probably going to be like the, for most people, the best way to go. What's that like? Like how many weeks do you think does it usually happen and all that stuff?
2: Yeah, I, I definitely think it's the best way. You know, there's a lot of programs out there that are short and there's a lot of, you know, we do private lessons here as well where a guy can come out and um, I can help him. But to really get the foundation done, I would definitely always recommend using a, um, a, a good professional trainer and getting that foundation. You know, our foundation programs uh, for our gun dog is four months. And what you're going to get on that, you're going to get all your leash training. Um, you're going to get your obedience. You're going to get your collar condition where the dog understands what the collar means, what how it works. and You know with with you know we do all the inside obedience as well in this four-month program you know sit here heel down kennel quiet you know a company comes over knocks on the door you say place he goes down the hallway into the mudroom lays on his place board you visit with your company company leaves you ask him to get up or come in the room or if you wanted to invite him in the room with the company he comes in you say down he lay he lays down and he he's a polite gentleman um, or a lady, while, while they're in the room and um, not jumping all over everybody. Um, you know, we have very high expectations for what we want, want the dogs to do. Um, a, a lot of people get the misconception that they can't be dogs, they can't play, and they can't run around and jump on the couch and uh, play, and roll around on the floor with you. And that—that's definitely not the case. We we love dogs. That's that's why I'm in the business. I mean, um, I, I like to roll around and I love on them. But when I do ask him, you know, I'm getting up for, for church in the morning. And I got my Sunday best on. I also don't want him to roll out there in the mud puddle and come jump on me. Mm-hmm. So to be able to do that where I'm not having to scream, where I'm not having to holler, and I, I simply ask him to lay down while I get my car out in the carport or out in the garage, as opposed to have to scream or um, take my kids and, hey, everybody run to the car where a rover doesn't jump on us, it, it's uh, our expectation, expectations are high whether that's at the home or out in the field so to answer your question we we bring them in four months um we want the owner to be involved we actually built a lodge before we started hunting um here on the property and we want the owner to be here as much as he can be here a lot a lot of my first questions are how, how often can i come visit the dog you can stay at the lodge every day. We got 16 beds. Stay here with us. We, we want you to be involved. The more you're involved, the better our product's going to be when we send it back home, hmm. you know, and the lodge was built to make sure that that customer would come back and spend a day or two and let me teach them how to operate the dog. What, what happened is I would send that dog home and I'd do follow-up calls and I'd call that guy and I'd be like, Hey, how's your dog doing? And he'd be like, Brad, we just don't have, you know, many places to hunt, or I I really don't, if I say this to him, he's not doing it. And if I say come, he's not coming. And I'm like, well, and this was the early years. I was like, well, he doesn't know come. Um, We we taught him here. And after I picked up on that, after a year or two, I said, you know, we got to make sure these guys come in, these ladies come in and spend two or three, four or five days with us and know exactly how to operate and communicate Mm -hmm with their dogs when they take them home. And and since we've done that, that has really ramped our product up um, at the top. And whether, whether that's an obedient dog for inside the home or a, a gun dog, just a basic gun dog, you know, not probably 80% of our customers is what they want is a companion 80% and a gun dog 20% It's part of the family. It's, you know, and having one that obedient Everybody, it's a pleasure to be around. Everybody wants to be around your dog when he's obedient. Nobody wants to be around a dog that's disobedient. So if I can train that dog in four months, that's our most popular um, program, to be obedient, whether you're grilling on the back porch, whether you're inside with your family about to go to bed, or you're out there on that duck hunt, um, and he's not breaking, he's not jumping in front of other dogs, he's not jumping in front of, out of those pit blinds in front of the muzzle, and he's not whining in the blind you know that that's that's what we want to do and then to teach the owner how to operate that dog so our four-month program is our basic program Um, then it goes up to eight months that gives you the hand signals on the long cripples that um, the dog didn't mark that gives you you know you run the hand signals blow the whistle the dog turns around and sits and then we go from there you know there's a lot of stuff Um, the dual breed dogs you know like uh, your German shorthairs that they want those dogs to dove and duck hunt on the retrieving end, but they also want them to point. Those, those programs last from 10 to 12 months. The drawfire that are very versatile dogs, you know, the tracking the deer, the uh, pointing the upland game and retrieving your ducks, you know, that, that, that game can last 12, I mean, that program 12 to 14 months. And then your competition dogs, you know, it just depends on how serious you want to get with it. There, there are dogs here that stay off and on five, six years with us um, running the super retriever series, running the advanced field trials, running the national events for the hunt test games. And if he does stay here that long, those are the guys I really push to come and be more involved, you know, come that guy. I want him to be in and out of this um, lodge and off our own and off our property at least multiple times a month and learning how to operate, getting, the communication down where him and his dog are uh, like like a dance you know they, they dance when they go in the field at a field trial they're they're dancing when they're out there in the in, in the duck blind and if if they can be involved like that that secures my product my hard work my guys all my team that's working their butt off blood sweat and tears we know for a fact that um our product secure if we can teach that owner
0: mm-hmm Man, it really is amazing when you see an owner and a dog working together so, like you said, like a dance. It's yeah, just, just, it's just in sync. You in know? sync. Now, I know going back to what you were talking about with uh, with a dog being a, a, a good dog, like a gentleman or a lady to be around, not, not being a pain in the butt, jumping all over you, doing all kinds of disobedient stuff. I mean that's that's really you know if if we're going into like you were talking about if it's just an eighty percent companion dog or even just a hundred percent companion dog that's what everybody really wants and I feel like I feel like a lot of times I you know just in the research I've tried doing with our dogs we got we've got two setters one of them who's a total house lap dog my wife loves her like she's probably not gonna hunt but the other one I I'm trying to work on a few things here and there but but anyway I know like. In what I've read, a lot of times people end up being the problem and the things that make a dog be disobedient and, and how they go about reacting to certain things the dog does. And And I've heard things like the dog is basically always in this position where it's trying to figure out who's alpha, who's in charge. And if a, if a person who's their, their owner doesn't step up, it seems like the dog is kind of like, well, maybe it's, it's me. I got to be the one who's in charge. And, and sometimes things... That the dog does that people think is cute or people think is, oh, the dog's excited to see me. That's why it's leaning into me and w- wiggling around and bumping into everybody and jumping. That's just, if they're excited to see me. We keep applying these like person, like human personality traits to the dog. That's, that's where things start to break down. Is that kind of, is that sort of how it works? I mean, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on, or and, and how you guys go about seeing those behaviors in dogs
2: yes definitely you know we we want a dog that um you know is not shy or skittish from us he's um you know ears up tail wagging face smiling but at the same time we we want him to respect us and um you know it's kind of like humans but a a little bit more so with dogs and animals that the respect actually overrides what people think like love Um, for example um, a funny thing i do with a lot of my lady customers is. They'll say, oh, was he still going to remember me? Is he still going to love me and stuff? So after they've been there a month or two, I'll tell them, you know, you go roll around in the yard with him, love on him. And, um, you know, I've I've took him and I have loved on him, but I've also showed him right from wrong and um, asked him to do what the task at hand on my terms and uh, do it the way I wanted to do. And so what we'll do, so she'll love on him and she'll give him a treat And I'll sit over there in a chair and I'll let her sit in a chair and I'll let one of my um, trainers turn him out. He's only been there 30 days at this point. She's raised him. She's cooed him and cuddled him his whole life. And I've only had him for 30 days. And I won't. The rule is she can't say a word and I can't say a word. And when the trainer lets him out, he might walk around for a little bit. But every time without fail, he always comes to me. And that, that, that's part of that alpha deal. Just like these documentaries on gorillas and wolves and coyotes and stuff you watch, um, they always look for reassurance out of that alpha that's the alpha pack leader. And that that's how it works with dogs. And a lot of people don't understand that. But, um, you know, and that doesn't mean you have to be ugly to them. That doesn't mean you have to mistreat them or um, scold them all the time. But just like that big alpha female wolf you know at, at her cubs you know she won't ever bite them but she will stand over them and hold them down when when they're acting unruly or um getting out of hand and that, that's basically what we do we we actually um submit dogs and all that is is holding the, that wild puppy six months old that we've all seen all we do is submit him and hold him down until he finally gives up and quits wiggling and um we're not hurting him we can even talk sweet to him while we do it but you know, after time and we give them four and five lessons a day after a month of that and a month of them showing them who's boss and look, we're going to take care of you. We're going to feed you. We're going to water you. We're going to have fun together. But at the same time, when I say it, you're going to do it my way. You know, that that's when those dogs really fall in love or, you know, the the respect part takes over and that, that alpha goes a long ways with animals.
1: Hmm. One thing I've heard is once that dog, knows its place it's actually like in a better mindset like it's got it does it's got a happier dog it's it's a happier dog it's more comfortable it's like yeah i've got it figured out here's where i fit in the pack is is that kind of is that kind of where they end up
2: oh oh definitely you know we uh, the dogs are so much happier and they're at peace Uh, it's like if not then they're unsure of their place um the way that we do it you know weird humans are definitely alpha but we don't want the dog skittish either you know uh, there there are, in the past, I've seen dogs with other amateurs, you know, come up there and the dog's scared to death. And the guy's like, well, he he does exactly what I said. And I said, yeah, but y'all have no relationship. I mean, he, 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 he does it because he's scared you're going to beat him. You know, I don't want that. I want a happy dog, eyes glowing, ears up, tail wagging, and he still does it. He's my buddy. But I'm his coach. You know, I'm his drill sergeant. Um, he knows I'll go to war for him. Um, I'm there for him I'll protect him but at the same time when I ask you to do it it's yes sir uh, we're we, we doing it the way the way that he says and that, that that's what I want
1: you know you're talking a little bit about once you kind of go through that process and, and the dog coming to you because you're the alpha how does that baton get handed off to the owner then is that is that you got you teach them kind of the stuff that that you've you know how to command the dog and and work the dog and then once they get home does that does that transition smoothly or is there an adjustment period there or how does that work
2: when i was first starting off in my early years it was just me by myself and um, now we have eight eight trainers and one thing that i learned you know um, at the handoff period even though after i figured out that i needed to spend time with the owner it was still tough you know the dog i would transfer the dog back over and they were, they were still having some problems and we'd have to go visit or i'd have to drive to their home and they'd be out of state and to help them because I was so, you know, I'm all about my brand and all about our product. But after I had multiple trainers and we passed these dogs around before they go home, and then we take that three or four or five days of them staying here in the lodge and, um, and camp with us and us teaching them, it's piece of cake, easy. They know if a, if a human says it and he says it properly and he commands it properly, it's smooth as silk. So all of my dogs are trained by everybody, all the trainers on the property. And when they're done that way and then the owner will spend three or four days with me, they do, they work better for the owner than they work for me because the owner, you know, they did raise them and they did. So the little funny little thing I do with the owners where we sit in the two chairs by the end, when I transfer that respect over to her or over to that, the new owner, and then we sit in the chairs, they definitely go to them at that point. And, Mm. you know, I revisit that to show them that they got the respect, but it just cooing and cuddling them and loving on them and giving them treats they don't love you and respect you as much as the 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 alpha in the pack
0: yeah. gotcha gotcha yeah there's a there is there is a a big thing with just the the respect of a dog and and when you feel that you have it with a dog it it feels so much better like you were saying Mark I know um there's so many character traits of dogs that I think people tend to look at as, like I was saying before, like cute or, oh, it loves me because it does mm-hmm. this. And, and it really is actually the dog disrespecting the owner oftentimes. And and it takes a lot of patience, you know? Like it takes, it takes the patience, especially if you want your dog to be performing and doing some of the stuff that you guys are training dogs to do. It takes a lot of patience. And you're talking about having them there training for months at a time. I know a lot of people are like, oh, but then I'm going to miss it for that many months or whatever or having to drive down and go and spend a couple of days or or even when you get the dog back realizing that it's not just sort of like well the dog trained for four months so now it's gonna be good for the rest of its 12-year lifespan right um, you know I can just leave it at home and go to work and never train it again and just at, at any given time I can snap my fingers and it's back into like uh, free missile mode like there's a lot of patience that goes into it and I feel like uh, people have to be willing to to dedicate that, that time and attention to the dogs. Cause otherwise you just get people who are kind of like, oh, I got this dog and I, I don't get it. You know, it's just, it won't listen to me. Mm-hmm. It won't whatever. And then you end up with a, with a problem. It sounds
1: like kind of like, you know, an option is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like, you know, I mean, I think one reason why people, number one, they don't have the tools and the knowledge to train a dog properly. And also like, like you said, Jim time. Like, that's a big time, big commitment, you know, consistency. So when some of these folks are sending a dog to you, and they probably oftentimes don't have a lot of time, they can fire it off to you for that, you know, four months, which might seem like forever at first, but really it's four months to have a really good dog at the end of the day or even longer depending on the program that the dog is in. But but then they can kind of come out for that four days at the end and kind of like soak it all in and and do it that way it's, it sounds like that is an option versus like I, I'm, I guess i'm thinking from my perspective like i live in wisconsin here if i want to send a dog to to you brad at, at mossy pond you know i wouldn't have to like do like three or four trips to to visit the dog and kind of learn how to run it or no, is, or it would, is that a good idea
2: oh if you could do it you know depending on um you know how how busy life is you know but um it is mandatory. We do ask that it, um, at the end you have to spend four days with us. Or, mm-hmm. You know, there's there's no reason for us to train the dog for you if you're not going to come out and spend the four days. Yeah. Um, but no, you know, if you could come out during the during the time, that's great. But if not, the four days at the end is is what's the most important.
0: Yeah. yeah. Gotcha, Chad. How much have you been going out there and hanging out with your dog Axel? You know, being
3: transparent with my life I depended on Brad a lot and I was lucky because with the foul life Brad would meet me out places and hunt and bring the dogs to us so it gave me that bonding time I bonded with Axel you know when he was a puppy and then he went back to Georgia and went through the you know boot camp and then we started bringing him out on hunts early but not hunting him just getting him around camp socialization which is a big thing that Brad's gonna talk about I'm sure but the social part of of a dog is was huge to me seeing that. And Brad was very disciplined on not letting him get right into the hunt. So, mm-hmm. as time went on, as time went on, and Axel's four now, he went on his first hunt when he was three. So, that's pretty old for a dog, but there was a lot of ideology that went into there and a mindset that Brad had with his competition career and the levels that we wanted to get Axel to. Um, he went on his first hunt when he was three, and then he hunted with me all season this last season. So, Brad brought him out here last October, and we spent two and a half days of the handoff of drills and transitioning that. And when I said, I want to be transparent is that it's, it's easy, but it's repetition and it's easy for a guy to go, Oh, that dog's, unbreakable. He's going to be fine when we go hunting. And dogs, no matter how much of a superman they are, they are going to make mistakes. So patience is a virtue. And I learned really quick that, hey, I got to stay on this. I got to commit time to this. I got to dedicate time to this and make sure that I get out in the field and practice with Axel on off days. And that's what I started doing. We started incorporating him into whether we were filming tips or whether we were doing anything, he was always incorporated. And the next thing you know, he just he performed unbelievable all season and it was just a a joy to see it so yeah it's it's one of those things that where i didn't get to get out there much during his training career in georgia i went out there a couple weeks ago and hunted turkeys with brad and brought axel back to him and, and saying bye to axel sucked but i know that when he comes back to me in september it's going to be you know that much better so mm. it's a mindset that you have to have there's a lot of breakup periods and there is some heartbreak in it but the process is 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 so worth it
0: yeah what uh, on As far as getting a dog ready to go on hunts, I am curious the the process that you guys have. So, like, in that case, you know, you guys waited for a little while to get him socialized and before he actually went on his first hunt. So, yeah, the socialization process. And I know one thing that a lot of people are probably wondering, and they're, they're wondering how we've made it this far in the podcast without bringing it up yet, but, like, gun-breaking a dog, getting him used to being around firearms and, and loud noises or, you know, sort of that, that chaos of maybe a bunch of birds coming in or, you know, whatever it might be. How are you, how are you going about that process? What's the ideology behind it?
2: So just like Mr. Chad said, socializing a pup and a dog is the most important thing. You know, what I see is when dogs aren't used to a distraction or used to something, um, or not accustomed to it, that's when they get distracted. and can't be taught or they, they, they lose focus. You know, they, they are very smart, intelligent animals, but um, they they lose focus very easily so at a young age for like the the noise stuff you know a lot of our breeders and myself we put pie plates in the in the kennels when they're five weeks old when they start moving around on strings where they'll bump into things making loud noises where, where they're doing it but it's you know when we feed them and stuff like that and you know what I mean about socializing them they need to see cows horses lawnmowers, weed eaters, big trucks, trains, anything. That, what you don't want to do, um, I train him or the owner keeps him there at his house and basically keeps him in his backyard and he's never seen anything. Then he takes him on his first dove hunt and he's out there in the field and corn stubble and right next to him is a cow over there mooing, and he can't even concentrate at what he's doing that you've worked so hard for because he's looking at that cow. He's never seen a cow before. <laughs> or you're out there in the yard And you're working the dog and a a guy, your neighbor's using a weed eater. He's never seen it before. You know, socializing a dog and letting him be around loud noise and letting him be around those things and easing him into it. Don't be in a hurry. You know, there's a guy on a lawnmower. Let's pick the puppy up and go sit on a lawnmower. I'm not saying that. Just ease him into it, socializing to it. And those louder noise will make him Easier to break for um, the gunfire, and and of course the gunfire is the same way. You know, we we start off at 200 yards from gunfire, and when we hear it, we give them something that they love. Hopefully, with a retriever, it's a it's a ball, it's a toy, it's a cone, it's a live quail, something that he's just nuts about that we've figured out that that's his tick, mm-hmm. and whatever his tick is, that's what we give him when we start introducing that loud noise, and then we get closer and closer and closer until we can get where the loud noise, the bang of the gun is giving the reward, like the, the, the animal or the duck or whatever it may be, or, is, or as bumper or his, and that that's how we ease them into it. But it's a lot of patience, a lot of reps and um, a, a slower process than what even a lot of people think. A lot of people think, well, I'll go and I'll get my buddy out there 400 yards and I'll shoot a 22 tomorrow. We'll throw him something. And then by the end of the week, we're going to shoot a 12 gauge over him and throw a bumper out there. That's not the case. I mean, we give these dogs four and five reps six days a week, four and five reps a day, six days a week. And uh, you count those reps up over a month or two. That's a lot of reps. By the end of the four months, you know, he's heard a thousand rounds go off. He's seen lawnmowers, um, weed eaters, cows, horses. All of our dogs are loaded up on dog rigs every day and taken to a, we have a rotation. We go to a different place every day. Some is like a park atmosphere with cars, it's in town. Um, Some is, you know, corn stubble atmosphere. Some is kind of like like a neighborhood. Our our place, we have several different, uh, up there around the lodge, we always have four and five customers in at all times. So a lot of our obedience dogs, we're in inside the lodge as soon as the customers wake up at eight o'clock, we're in the lodge working on place and down, and they see these people. So then when they get back home and somebody walks past them or somebody walks past them with breakfast or a cup of coffee, they don't they don't freak out. They've seen it. Uh, yeah, hundreds of t- hundreds, hundreds of times. So socializing what Mr. Chad said, that's 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 the number one thing, and um that's that goes right into the gun shyness. You know, if the puppy's brought up properly, it's easy. Now, the puppy, he gets to six weeks old. The guy or the lady, their life's so busy. They pet the puppy in the morning, they feed it, and they go to work and they get home at dark, let it out for five minutes, pet it, and feed it, and put it back in there. And then when it becomes eight or 10 months old, they want to go out in the dove field with it and they shoot. That's the gun shy dog. Oh, yeah. And, um, you know, and there's a lot of things I tell these people they, they don't want to send them off or don't have the funds to send them off to me. And I said, pay a young person after they're out of school or in the summer to take that puppy to the park, take him to tractor supply, take him to Bass Pro Shop. Just take the puppy places. And I understand people at work, they don't have time, but take these pup puppies and these young dogs and socialize them, and you won't have any of these problems where they're scared of something. Mm-hmm. And let
3: me let me I'll add to that real quick, Mark and Jim is the other thing that I love about Brad's program. And Brad will be the first one to tell you that there's there's other dog trainers in the country. Okay, there's there's guys that that have been mentors to Brad, and there's guys that Brad mentors now. He's he's one of the best there is. But one of the things I was most impressed about is that you talk about excitement, and you talk about a, a part of hunting that's so much different than turkey hunting or deer hunting. When you're in a deer stand by yourself, and you got to keep yourself you know awake for eight hours in Wisconsin, which I think is the most heavily hunted deer state in the country um there's a lot that goes in to a waterfowl hunt and when axel comes out of that kennel and he sees a thousand snow goose decoys with 200 spec decoys eight ground blinds eight benellis eight dudes that think that they can call better than the other guys so they're all calling then you got the moo cow then you got the eagle then you got the train going by i was like holy smokes like i watched brad training like he's got that dry land spread at his facility he's got that water decoy spread at his facility nothing was tricking this dog like he got out and said oh i've seen this
1: yeah no surprises like,
3: and like two 200 snow geese come in We killed 15 of them. He slays there. You talk about discipline to sit there through that, right, and not break when that many geese are coming in and then that many gunshots go off. And, again, he's been worked into this. This isn't day one, you know, and he hasn't seen this before. This is a a mature dog that's been trained the right way. So that it's so impressive to see that. And the number one thing that comes to mind is a mistake can happen at any time, and it happens every duck season. And when you have a dog that stays there with all of that excitement going on, man, it just gives you this reassurance and confidence that this really could be the best hunt of the season because that dog is performing the way it is. So, so I just amazing. wanted to throw that out there. The duck and goose hunting, man, there's a lot going on. And these dogs are so prepared for it coming out of Mossy Pond.
0: It's amazing, really. That's
1: super cool. Like you said, they've seen it all before. But what? So for the socialization, which I think, you know, like you said, is so important. Like, what is the optimum, optimum age to like, it sounds like that's kind of step one and like what's the optimum age it sounds like four months is about when you like to receive a dog but should a person start some of that earlier than you know getting that dog to you or or what like i guess what's that time bracket
2: five week mark for the breeder for these good breeders that um you know are doing the right things that's when they start coming out of the whelping box and taking little walks you know out in the yard that's when they start, you know, put a decoy out there that they fall over, that they walk up to and smell, put, lay a, lay a shotgun shell, lay a um, gun out there, let them smell the gunpowder, stuff like that with my great breeders. I mean, it starts at five weeks old. Wow. And Mm -hmm. then, yeah. And then at eight weeks old, you know, the pup goes home to the new owner and then from eight weeks to 12 weeks, there's no discipline, no structure from eight to 12 weeks with the owner is just socializing. So you're taking that pup in your car everywhere, everywhere you can go, you know, t- taking him and letting him see all these things at 12 weeks old. We do start some, um, you know, some positive um, training, um, treat training, you know, some basic sits, some basic heel with treats, you know, it's all on their, all, all on their watch, you know, we're not making them do anything. And, you know, at that point, point, we're really getting them excited about retrieving a toy or a ball, whatever, and use six or eight different things and see what he likes the best. And then at that point, that, that, that's what we use as his reward, just like a, you know, a drug dog or anything like that, that cone, whatever it may be, it may be a little stuffed animal duck, but at 12 weeks old, we know what that is. And then everything that we ask him to do, that's what we give him. We give him a little retrieve or a little fun retrieve and then when we're showing him and socializing him to new things, you know, at first he might be a little skittish or stand off from that lawnmower. But then after we hang out for an hour or two and do it two or three, five days in a row, then we'll start giving him that toy around it. And then before we know it, when he hears it, he's looking up at you, all right, throw the toy. And then, then it's on to the next. Um, and hopefully, if my owners will talk to me during the puppy process, they have the puppy so socialized by the time I get him Um, and we do wait until five or six months old before we like to bring them in. But then at five or six months old, man, my trainers in and off, um, their, their trucks in and off of their, um, dog trucks, their trailers and wherever, which environment we go to, we have a very socialized dog where we can go to work immediately as opposed to we take the puppy off and he's looking around like, Oh my gosh, I'm in outer space, you know? Mm. So, um, uh, socializing starts at five weeks old and it continues their whole life.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Yep. yep. Well, you, and then I was going to ask kind of right with that, if a person is maybe going, Oh man, I kind of did this wrong. I, I'm, I, I should have done more things. I should have socialized. I should have taken more places, whatever. If you've kind of missed that window, is there still hope? Can you still kind of get back that or, or have you missed out on something there?
2: No, you know, everybody gets hung up on the obedience side of it. And don't get me wrong. When when you see one of our dogs, whether the, you know, and it's done with a program, that is the most important part of the obedience side of it. But getting to that point, um, there's a lot of steps before that. And the steps before that is the socializing. So if a guy, he's got a dog that's a year old, and he's really been working in his backyard on sit here and heal and um, force fetch and collar condition, I would say, look, you got plenty of time. Take a month or two off, and let's really socialize him. Let's let's take him out there in those environments. Okay, it's July. Let's still go out to our duck lease. Let's get in that pit blind. Let's get in that duck boat. What you don't want, you, you go, all your buddies excited, December 1 or whatever, and y'all go to um, duck camp. You, you go to load the duck boat, and the dog's never been in a duck boat before. Well, old Rover, I've spent – thousands of hours on him and he's great in the yard and back at duck camp last night when we all came in i showed all my buddies how great he was but i can't even get him in the duck boat well that that's pretty <laughs> embarrassing and all it is is a socializing thing it's not a taught thing it's not anything that we're gonna now we teach our dogs a certain place in the boat to uh to place uh, where he's not up and down the boat knocking guns out of people's hands and tumbling over decoy bags but him in and out of the boat that's just a socializing thing that's just and what i tell everybody practice like you play so if you're going to see mechanical decoys in the field when you hunt is that how you hunt you need to see them in training if you see boats you need to be in and out take the boat off the trailer lay it on the ground let him go in and out of it every day for a month if you see you know electronic calls you need to get him around those electronic calls anything that he could see in the field you've got to socializing him too. You know, there's so many people that I help through the phone call and um, private lessons that they'll have the dog trained, but then when they go duck hunting, I'll call them, and I'm like, how'd it go? And they said it was a disaster. It was awful. I couldn't get him in the duck boat. As soon as the mechanical decoy started going off, he ran out there and tried to jump up and attack it. <laughs> he, he was trying to, and all it is is he's never seen one. Yeah. So um, socializing is I would say, just as important or more important than the training side.
0: Hmm. Do you find, uh, I feel like like a lot of people will talk about this or you'll kind of see it, and so I I feel like it's a thing, but maybe it's also a a result or mirroring of, of the owner slash trainer. Do all dogs pretty much have, like, their own unique little different personality. I know you said each of them kind of might have their own unique little tick or whatever that makes them get really excited. But like, I know I've seen some dogs, like I've got some friends, I just saw them this last weekend. They've got a, they've got a golden retriever and I'm 99.99% certain they've done little to zero, like zero training with it, but it's just a naturally like pretty calm, relaxed dog, and then you see other people who are working, 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 and they still got just cooked out dog. I mean, is that kind of unique to each individual dog? Do they have their own ways? Def-
2: definitely. You know, it, it's just like people. Everybody has their strengths and weaknesses. And uh, my mentor, he he taught me, you know, that that's the difference between a good trainer and a great trainer. That That great trainer, he can read that dog and see what he's great at um just like humans there there, there's things that some humans are good at um you know i'm never going to be a i'm five foot nine i'm never going to play nba i'm not going to be a basketball player we might as well work on something i'm decent (laughs) (laughs) playing with dogs petting dogs daily i I figured that out but um and it's just like with these dogs you know um you got to see what what makes them tick and what they're good at and some dogs I get sent to them and they want to be field trial dogs. And I tell the owners, you know, he might be a great C&I dog, but he's not a field trial dog. And, and right the opposite. I get a lot of these obedience dogs in and I'm like, oh my gosh, I wish this guy would run field trials with this dog. He's just amazing. He's a marker. That's what he's good at. And, you know, to be a great trainer, um, that's one thing I had to learn that you got to read the dog and work with his strengths and not, go against the grain and Mm. and try to make him into something that he'll never be.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, Now, don't get me wrong for the basic obedient gun dog. You can pretty much get away with pretty, pretty much all dogs. We, we rarely ever, we rarely ever wash a four month gun dog out. Rarely ever. We can, we can get them, but we got to find out what they like to do, how they like to be trained. You know, a lot, a lot of guys, You know, a lot of my younger trainers that are apprenticing in our program, you know, they want to train the same way with every dog. And um, that's why it's hard to read this stuff in a book. You have to cope and bend and each dog you train different. I might have 20 dogs on a truck and every single dog I, I train a little different.
0: Okay. Wow. Well, that was going to be one of my questions: is how does one train a dog? Uh, but yeah, or or how does or how do dogs learn? Which I'm sure makes that that's a difficult question to ask when you say each one learns differently. Are there are there things that are pretty much universal across dogs with with how they learn? I mean, obviously, one of the tricks is they don't they don't really know English, you know. I mean, or they don't speak it. Or <laughs> you can kind of teach them some words, but it's still to them like. They're never going to figure out our whole language or how to communicate perfectly with us. So how do you, uh, how do you, how do they learn?
2: You just got to fi- figure out what he likes. You know, a lot of these retrievers they're bred to retrieve. So that's going to be the thing that makes him happy. If I can make him happy when I'm teaching him a task, you know, that's what I want to work on him with, you know, um, a Husky, you know, he's bred to pull, um, you know, we tug of war a, a bite dog you know your rottweilers your pits your dogs like that you know he he wants to play a little tug of war with you whatever makes them uh the Malawas. you know they want to play tug of war whatever makes him happy the bird dogs a lot of people want to teach that german shorthair to be a duck dog well he wasn't bred to sit still he's bred to roll you know we we do quail hunts here and they run in our a half day quail hunt they'll run 20 to 40 miles in a three-hour span, mm. I mean, they are bred to roll, so if after the, his lesson, when we're done with a short hair, or English pointer, or, you know, a visla we get on the four-wheeler, and let them run, let them stretch their legs, and the retrievers, we let them retrieve, and that's when we're asking them to do something, and to do it good, and we say, okay, good job, you know, you complied, you were compliant, you were a good boy, you weren't trying to be a jerk, you know, I'm gonna give you what you want, and I'm gonna um, so, I mean, it's not like every single dog is totally from black and white different on how we train them. We train them very similar, but to get the maximize their potential, each dog needs to be trained a little different.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I noticed you didn't say like every time they do something good, we give them a bunch of treats.
2: Right. No, no, we, we, we don't treat train. You know, at a young age, I like to treat train, you know, because that's what their little brains tell them to do that. um you know, food and water and sleep. That's all they know. But as they get older, we want that tick to be something that we can do for them that is towards what they're going to do, meaning Mm -hmm. the retriever to retrieve, the bird dog to run, the to pull, you know, the husky to pull. I don't like treats. Um, At an older age dog, a mature dog, some people use them and it's okay. But I'm also very concerned with, how many calories each dog gets. Um treats people is surprising. A couple a lot of my owners will come in here and their dog will be fat. And I said, Brad, I only give him a a cup a day. Well, say he's giving him uh this is just a random number, but two or three, four hundred calories. But then through the treats, he's giving him an additional eight hundred because he gives him so many treats. Mm. Um, you know, that's another reason. But I, I like the retriever to do the task at hand because I tell him good boy because I love him on his back, not run up to me and say, okay, give me a treat. Mm-hmm. You know, I want him to do yeah. it because he respects me and he loves me and he he's trying to please me. And when you can flip that switch from treats to trying to please the owner, you get a lot more out of them than a treat. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Now, you're talking about loving on a dog, too, and I think, I mean, if you have a dog or think about getting a dog, I mean, one of the joys of having a dog is you love on that dog and and you love it, but can you, I've talked to some guys, they're like, oh, yeah, I try to limit that, and then other people are like, no, I do it as much as I want, like, is there too much, I mean, can you love on that dog too much, or should
2: you dial it back, even though maybe you want to, or does it matter? Not at all, not at all, you can love on them as much as possible, as much as you would like, the, the problem is they have to you have to do the work and the loving so much that they can differentiate, differentiate the two. And when what I show a lot of my owners before they go home, I'll get down there on the ground and roll and love on them and their tail will be wagging. He'll be, you know, play growling with me and everything. And I'll stand up and I'll say, he'll, just that soft, he'll sit. And I'll throw a bumper. He won't even break. I'll shoot a gun. He won't break. I'll say Axel, he goes out there, does his job, comes back, and that fast he's Hmm. back in work mode. And, you know, it takes time, but, you know, I can play with you, but when I I say the command or the task at hand, let's, let's do it right. Let's do it like a gentleman or a lady with style, meaning ears up, tail wagging, no tail tuck, no ears down, with style, looking good, looking like we're having fun, and if we're not having fun doing it, the trainer or the owner needs to figure out how to make that dog have fun and get the job done at the same time. And if if he doesn't look like he's having fun, we're training wrong.
1: Okay.
0: That makes sense. I mean, it, it all makes a ton, yeah. a ton of sense. Yeah. Well, and, that, and that's like, I mean, how, how do I even explain it? That's nice because I feel like a lot of times when people hear about training and and you know, establishing yourself as the as the dominant one or the alpha and all that—they they always their mind immediately goes to. But I don't want to break his spirit. I don't want to be a jerk. I don't, you know, like mm-hmm. the dog is so fun and cute and waggy, and now I'm going to turn it into just this somber thing. It's like, well, like you said, if the dog doesn't look like it's having a great time and, and a happy dog, then you're doing it wrong. Um, yeah, I could yeah.
2: you know, a, a lot of young trainers, and I, I'll be honest, I'm guilty of it in my younger years that, you know, I, I thought I had to make them do everything instead of, you You know, um, you, and a lot of tat, when younger dogs, you want to almost make it their idea. But one thing all of my team knows, we walk through the kennel, there's 120 dogs on the property right here in Georgia. When we walk through the kennel, every single dog when you go up to his gate better be wagging his tail. And it, it has to be that way. And if it's not, our whole team trapped I'll put every trainer on it and myself until we figure out what makes him happy. And he can't be gloomy. He can't be upset. He can't, you know, and health comes first, you know, he's got to be healthy. That's going to make him not feel good. But after health, you know, then we got to find out what makes him happy. And if he's not happy, you know, that's, that's not good. But cause a lot of guys think that you got to be a tough guy uh, I'm gonna show him he's gonna sit right there and then when I throw it he's gonna sit till I say his name and his tail's down his ears are down he looks and this is miserable this this is no fun and you know I've seen that my whole life and a lot of guys, you know I hate to say it in our profession do it that way, but that's not correct and um, that, that's not the way to maximize the potential of every single dog. You got to make them want to do it and have fun while they're doing the task at hand.
1: yeah. Hmm. With a with 120 dogs, you know, on the property that are that are getting trained, do you do you almost run it like? I mean, I know they're classes, but do you have like uh, like all you know, these ten dogs are at this stage, and these ten dogs are at this stage, or is it just every dog is an individual and they're where they're at in in the program at any given time?
2: No, we do. De- you know, to maximize our time, you know, we're out there before daylight. Everybody gets in the and yard in their kind of age group. Um, depend you know the young puppies that just came in that'll be a small group and then you know the older dogs that have been there over six or seven months there might be 40 or 50 dogs in the air air yard at one time and they love that you know we got a pool out there for them and they're playing and getting wet and running around so they love that and that makes them happy and um then after we load them on trucks of course we got a schedule with that many dogs and this many people working and customers walking out to Um, get ready to go out in the field and where they're going there's a schedule it's it's pretty complex but after we get out there yes all the young dogs work on certain tasks obedience leash training and then mid mid mid-level dogs you know retrieving marking how to mark how to hunt how to set up hunt patterns then you got tracking with the gun barrel you know um, then marking multiples then hand signals the upland dogs go with the upland guy for that day and you know our our, our trainers they rotate um, where all the dogs are seen by everyone, including myself and my manager. And um, but yeah, every every dog has a category that he's in. He um, it, it would be tough on us as trainers to go back and forth.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. You'd need yeah. like 120 trainers. <laughs>
1: <laughs> You're right. Here's another question I have. I mean, can you? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna create a scenario here. Like a person, maybe they they've got a lab and it's just a family dog, they, they didn't have an interest in hunting, they didn't hunt the dog, and the dog's just been, you know, house dog, maybe not trained a little bit, but, but maybe not, you know, anything super specific. Can you teach an old dog new tricks? I mean, if let's say it's a 3- or 4-year-old dog, maybe, maybe they had to move, maybe they had to do something where they couldn't have a dog anymore, you inherit this dog,
2: and you want it to be a hunting dog. I mean, is, it, is that a possibility? It is. So the old wise tale, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's, that's definitely false. Um, we, we have a lot of older dogs that they they bought and it's just a pet and it hangs out in the backyard. They got a fenced in area and the lab runs by there until he's two or three and the guy gets, you know, the, the, maybe the young boy, he grows a little older and he gets into duck hunting and they say, Hey, let's turn this into a duck dog or whatever the reason. And then, or he just gets too rural. Um, you know, and they want to send him off for obedience. Um, we, we train a lot of older dogs, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of old dogs, you know, but that goes back to the, how we bring them up, the socializing. Some of those steps may have been skipped. Mm-hmm. So we have to go back and revisit a lot of that stuff to make sure that the, the foundation is built properly. And it may take a little longer um, to go back uh, and do some of that stuff that you would think would have already been done with an older dog. But the process from a, a young pup in a process of getting a raw four-year-old's pretty much the same.
0: Hmm. hmm, that's cool. I didn't know that. That is cool. I thought you were going to bring up a hypothetical situ- uh, scenario about <laughs> a different uh, potential <laughs> gun dog. Well, yeah. Can can here's a here's a question:
1: Can any dog, can virtually any <laughs> dog, become a sporting dog? Ask so I'm I'm asking for a friend. Uh, we have a Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, so it's got some spaniel. We've talked about it on the podcast several times. I feel like it actually sh- when it, when we're reading about the breed, my wife wanted to get a you know a family dog for the girls and stuff like that, and I'm like, yeah, let,
0: let's do it. That'll be good. Be good for the girls. You were like, yeah, let's get a lab, and she was like, okay, hey, cool. Here's this little purse dog. Yeah,
1: it's not a purse dog. It's bigger <laughs> than it's bigger
0: than your average purse.
1: Uh, but. Uh, it, when I was reading about it, you know, all the warnings are like, oh, you know, be careful. This dog has some spaniel in it. It's going to have some hunting instinct. And in my head, I'm, you know, I've got my fingers crossed. Well, I certainly hope so. What have you ever, are you familiar with that breed at all? Is there hope? Can, <laughs> I mean, it's not big, you know, maybe, maybe it could retrieve
2: a quail or something. That's uh, pretty funny. We at, we've trained, uh, I would say probably 25 or 30 over the years. Um, of that we, kind? Yes, sir. Uh, We we have. It's all been (laughs) obedience. Well, we
1: need to work on that, too. So maybe we're going to ship her off.
2: (laughs) That's right. But just just like you said and what I've talked about, every one of them tick, um, have a tick. So, you know, if you could get that puppy just by taking a little toy and getting it retrieving in the living room on the carpet and getting the puppy going um, out there, picking it up and bringing it back. I mean, I have a Jack Russell that will retrieve ducks as good as any lab, mm-hmm. um, uh, far as far as hunting. So if you can get them to retrieve and stuff, you know, there there was a time that I wanted to take every breed out there. I wanted to train every breed out there because I wanted to show everybody that I could I could train it. And that, you know, that competitive side of me is what's always driven me into um, into training. But I, I feel like I could train any dog to do anything. Um, but you know, every dog's built different. A lot of people try to take these German short hairs and some of these other dogs and make them duck dogs where well, their body's just not made up to um, fight the cold water. And they're, they're good during till season, good during dove season. But when it gets cold, man, they're just not made for it. So um, that, that small breed is definitely not built for the cold. And But a little quail dog with the spaniel in it, I can see you could definitely get it to retrieve a little quail or a dove. It, as long as you could teach it with a start with a little uh, toy and get it retrieving, bringing it back to you, praising it when it brought it back properly and then teaching it how to bring it back properly. And uh, a lot of our Spaniels, we don't force fetch. Force fetch is a, is a training method that we teach a lot of our labs and our short hairs and those dogs to actually how to hold it properly. But a lot of our Spaniels our cockers and stuff like that. And our boykins, we, we teach through attrition, just teach them how to hold it and bring it back and deliver it to hand um even at heel um, it looks the same but it's taught different and I, I would that's how i would recommend if somebody called me and said hey i want to teach this dog to go out here and retrieve my dove during dove season and pick them up um, but yes if you called me and said hey brad would you do it i wouldn't give you a time frame but yeah i could do it <laughs> that sounds good i will say we we're out in the yard the other
1: day man and we had there were some birds in the yard, and she i mean she was fired up interested in those birds, like she was like and i was like oh i see i see a little glimmer in your eye, you know." <laughs>
2: Boy, Mark, I tell you
0: what, it'd be real a real sight to see. Dare to dream, Jim.
2: <laughs> I, I don't think um, we could put um, the little cavalier with belting on the um, foul life, though. I, I don't think we'd get very good reviews for that. <laughs> it might get a lot of views, not great yeah. reviews. <laughs> you might be right, Might make might make us all famous.
1: Oh, man. Yeah, that's right. What, what do you what do you think, Chad? Hit uh, do some uh, December ducking with uh, with Scarlet, Scarlet the ca- the Ruby Cavalier. Yeah.
3: I could see Axel with a little uh, vest on that's got a backpack style vest with her on his back.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, just do do a little ride along. There you go. Y'all
3: ever y'all ever been to any rodeos where they put that little monkey on the dog's back and they herd all the horses and cattle? Go, yeah, you guys ever seen that? It kind of be no. the same deal. I,
1: I have it, awesome. But
0: I may look that up now. It'd be a very similar situation. It sounds like a, a sight to see. Brad, what's your favorite breed to work with? Maybe that's a super terrible <sighs> oh, question to ask somebody question, like yourself. Jim. It can depend, I'm sure, on what it is that they're uh, that they're trying to do. But uh what's 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 one or a few that you really like?
2: Man, I don't know. You know, I I, I like I, I grew up on hounds and bird dogs. Um um, and I, I just like a good dog. Um, of course, with um, the business, um, more retrievers come our way than any other breed. Yeah. So the, the, the lab, that, that guy, he's hard to beat, but, um, I, I, I love good dogs. We have a, a, me and my family have a Jack Russell. I, I, have a, I have a personal lab as well. My boy has a competitive lab at the kennel, but uh, I've had a lot of, a lot of great great dogs and a lot of great breeds over the years through the years um you know i'm a i'm a hound guy too you know a a good blue tick i got i got several blue ticks and um i got probably 20 beagles um i I love good dogs
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, a a cool breed that not very popular you don't see a lot of them out there but it's i've never trained a bad one and that, that that's crazy because i've trained bad ones in every other breed but I have never trained I've probably trained 50. I've never trained a bad draw fire.
0: And I've never even uh, heard of that.
2: You know, you know, it's a wired haired um, uh, multicolored um looks has a dock tail, looks kind of like a German short hair. It, it looks like a German wire hair pointer, but um it'll point, it'll um retrieve ducks. Uh the coat's built for the the water as well. It beads water, sheds water and It'll track big game. Uh, it'll blood blood trail. It's a it's a really cool dog. So I mean, if I had to pick one, I would say a drafter is pretty cool. Dude,
0: Man, that, that, that sounds super cool. That does sound
1: cool. You know, when you're talking about you know like you train maybe you're training a a lab to be a, a retriever, a duck dog, and then kind of like you know like more of like the field trial stuff. How does that? It sounds like there might be some. I'm sure they're similar but maybe some different methods how does that translate over if you've got a dog that's you know you're really into doing competitions and things like that can you take that dog to the field and they're going to be a great duck dog or are there some differences there?
2: You know a lot of people always say well the first thing they say when they call me you know uh, just a good old boy that hunts he says I don't want a field trial dog well um, I understand where he's coming from when I was younger before I I knew more about this I, I thought the same thing but uh, a great field trial dog, it's not just because he likes to go. You know, he's the most intelligent. He has the best eyesight. He has the best nose. He's the best problem solver. He knows to how to get himself out of uh, problems in that game that we play, the field trials. So, you know, I mean, a uh, field champion, he's the best of the best. He's the best one out there. He just plays a different game. Instead of duck, like for us, we shooting ducks. He's shooting sporting clays. It's just a game we play with um, when we can't hunt. So, no, a field trial dog, man, a national field champion, he beats every other dog. Hmm. I mean, he is the he is the best. Um, now, don't get me wrong. You have to teach him if he's never taught how to hunt. You know, he might not hunt great if you take him out there the first time. If he hadn't been socialized to mechanical decoys and he hadn't been socialized to riding in a boat and all that, but, um, no, um, they are trained differently, but a lot of the things are the same as well. But uh, a field champion or a master hunter or a hunting retriever champion or an SRS champion, that's just like Mr. Chad and um, Axel. I mean, Axel's one of the best out there at, 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 at all the games that he plays. And when you put him in the field, it shows why. I mean, he's compliant. He's not a jerk. He works with you. He knows how to work himself out of problems. If he gets out there, he knows how to – he's got a good nose. If he gets there and the cripple's crawled off, he knows how to figure it out. He doesn't go out there and go brain dead. Yeah. If he wasn't able to achieve these titles that he's achieved, he might get out there and the cripple crippled off, and, and he'd be like, well, it's not here, boss, and come run her back. But he he's smarter than most. He's smarter than the next dog in the kennel. And, yes, the 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 competitive-style dogs that – achieve these titles they're better than the the one that's not
1: wow gotcha chad of all of the dogs that you've had have you had all labs or or have have you mixed it up a little bit or what uh i guess what's your dog history
3: i grew up with golden's retrievers uh my dad and mom loved them my mom still has one still love them but i just i just took a lot of liking to labs i i love the build that axel is he's a 65 pound lab He's got pretty slick coat on him that's uh, that doesn't get caught up on much, and just the whole disposition and the personality. And Brad's touched on it is just they aim to please. They'll love on you. I mean, I've cuddled this dog and spooned this dog. He's spooned me. I've been the big and the little, and uh, <laughs> he uh, he's just got a. That's loving part of that pers- socialization. Yeah, you know? yeah, and it's just a huge. It's a loving personality, and then when he flips that switch. It's good night. It's just it's just a joy to watch. So I've seen that with a with labs, and um, uh, you know we we have several labs right now. Um, obviously, I'm partial to Axel just because he's just a different he's just a different blood type, man. That when you see if you've seen the movie The Black Stallion, or if you look Google the Black Stallion and you look at the cover art of it, that's Axel waiting to go into the kennel or come out of the kennel or go into the truck like he's up on his back legs his he's looking at you like come on this is taking too long and it's just it's just a joy and then when you say heel when you say sit he's boom and it's and then when you say place he doesn't move a muscle he's just such a respectful well-mannered dog and so i'm partial i mean I, i haven't been around all of these different these different uh you know breedings that brad has been around i'm sure i'd fall in love with a lot of them but labs are my number one for sure
0: well now I'm just curious cuz you got to ask about your dog. I'm learning more about setters having two of them now. What have you what have you found about setters? We got my wife and I got our first one. The first one I've ever been around, I've been around golden retrievers otherwise, the rest of my land corgis oddly enough. But she met one in a park once and loved it and I always thought setters were kind of neat dogs. We got a Gordon uh, who's three now, super good dog. And now our new puppy is seven months old and who's actually off doing some work for being a bird dog. Uh, he's seven months old. He's an English setter. What's, uh, what have you found with, with those? I'm guessing you've probably seen them come through.
2: A lot. Yeah, we, we, we actually run a lot here on the, um, the quail for the quail and the quail plantation, but um, they're good. They're not dogs that you can force into something. They're sweet dogs. They're um, great companions for you and the family. Mm -hmm. They're they're dogs that you need to kind of make it their way. Don't push. If you're trying to show them something, don't push it. Take the time. Be patient with them. But after you get them trained, man, they're they're some stylish, beautiful, loving, loving, loving dogs. I I, I run a lot of them. Uh, I, I like a Lou Ellen Setter. Red Setter, which you don't see many anymore, I've trained several Gold um, Gordons, and they're they're beautiful. I mean, uh, you got to get the birds out of there. Um. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I know
0: you got to keep them shorter, else you just basically spend as much time cleaning them as you did doing anything with them. Yeah, I've heard they're kind of, and I've experienced this. They are a bit slow at picking stuff up, and you know, I don't know if it's just because for whatever reason, but. I have noticed that. but once they get it down they like I mean they are locked in on whatever they've gotten down over you know if you work on them uh for a while it's like Yeah you
2: hit you hit you hit the nail on the head I mean you're exactly right um it it, it takes longer sometimes with them but after you get them I mean they're just as good as anything but a lot of people compare them to a you know a german short hair or the other the other pointing breeds and those dogs are just different I mean it doesn't make the short hair any better than the the Gordon, I mean, the, the Gordons are, are great. They're just, you got to train them different. You send them Mm. to an English pointer, an English pointer trainer that all he's trained is English pointers. I mean, unless he's really good, really knowledgeable or uh, older gentleman, it's probably not going to go well. Uh, They, they, they just, you train them different and you you got to have a lot of patience and a lot of, a lot of time in the field, probably hours, Probably won't be that much different. It's just it's a little different how you approach those style dogs.
0: Yeah, yeah, and like you said, loving too the cuddliest dogs I've ever had in my entire life. That's all they want to do. It's just like God. Yeah, you're,
2: not many English pointers you're going to have on on your couch. So <laughs> they're definitely definitely different.
0: Yeah,
1: yeah. I know. Uh, I know our dog, the uh, the Cavalier. You know, they're bred to be uh, from what I read, the, the lap dogs of royalty and. I mean, that dog, she is at home. Like, she she sees a lap,
0: she is on it, and she's like, and I'm just like, I guess you're just doing your job.
2: (laughs) She's got it it figured out. Yeah.
0: Just start making it so that she comes back to a lap with a quail in her mouth.
1: There you go. There you go. That'll be the trick. That'll be be the next trick.
0: That's her tick, getting in a lap, right? (laughs) Oh, you did good. Yeah.
1: There. Pop on. Pop on (laughs) up for a minute. Awesome, guys. Real quick. Chat, I mean, you've hunted... Well, I'm sure both of you guys have hunted a lot, but Chad, I mean, obviously with Fowl Life TV and I mean, you got so much stuff going on with the podcast and everything, but like what's your favorite thing about hunting, hunting with a dog?
3: It's a spectacle, man. I I like the I like the showmanship of it. And I also like the conservation piece of it. I think that you have a tool that is your best friend. And when he turns that switch or she turns that switch, you just can be rest assured that, you're going to enjoy the hunt that much more. I, I think that we touched on it a little bit, but mm-hmm. I have i don't want to sound snooty, but I am, I've am i become very critical of dogs that the owners and the handlers have not taken the time to train the right way or get trained. And a lot of people would say, well, who are you to tell me that? And I'm nobody. But I just say that if you get a, a, an experience where you see it done right, it's a pleasure. And a whining dog, a squealing dog, a dog that's all over the pit blind and not and taking the, the chance to knock a gun over and he doesn't listen to his handler. There, there, there's a, a real issue with that, in my opinion, because we are dealing with loaded weapons. And I and I just I like the ability or, or the idea of a dog that listens. And then once the guns go off and the birds go down, guys, it's amazing to see a dog like Axel and several that have come out of Brad and Mossy Pond, what they can do. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing to know that four ducks die in your decoy hole where they're supposed to be. But then a couple of them fall outside of it, and then there might be a cripple one 800 yards, and Brad steps out of the blind with his whistle, and me hopefully in the next year I can do this and all eight of those ducks are back in the next six or seven minutes, and we're ready for the next flock to come in. Gosh, and everybody's nice. safe, and all the birds are on the strap, and that, and Axel's looking at you like, come on, you all only got eight? It's an amazing experience <laughs> and spect- spectacle to see. So my favorite part of it is the conservation and the spectacle that it becomes.
1: Yeah, I mean, that does sound amazingly, amazingly impressive, and it just, you know, all the stuff that we've talked about during this podcast, and you kind of talking about a scenario like that and just, all that work and all those puzzle pieces come together and just culminating in this one super, di- super dynamic, complex, distracting moment.
3: Um, I mean, you just that's gotta... what it's all
1: for right there.
3: Well, if you, th- if you think about how you are and you both have kids, you're, and so does Brad, I saw my daughter put this move on a kid in Jiu Jitsu the other day that brought a tear to my eye. Okay. <laughs> I've seen, I've had, I've had, I've had dog owners call me. We had a, a chocolate lab named Rufus that was it, Rufus. Brad, correct me if I'm wrong.
2: Yes, sir.
3: We had chocolate lab out of of the East Coast that Brad brought on a trip and his owner sent me a personal message. When they saw this dog on the foul life, they cried because they were so proud of what it was doing. And I think that that is the coolest part is that you become so attached that you get a tear in your eye when you see him do good. And you just are like, man this is what duck hunting is all about. Or when they're pointing quail, I live in Nevada. I've seen, I've seen pointers honor each other on chuckered partridge up in the rim rocks where your mind is blown. And that's, I think it just adds a completely different level to the hunt on many occasions.
0: Yeah. I mean, you just got to step back sometimes, even if it's a dog that's just hanging out of your house or whatever, and you just look at it and you're like, that is a different species. Doesn't th- like, I don't even know. I mean it it's not the same thing as as we are at all, but somehow you can figure out how to work with them.
1: It's incredible. Oh, it's a cool connection for it sure. Is. And it's a cool connection when done right with like what Brad and Chad are doing with these yeah. dogs, you know? I mean that, yeah. that's a very very
0: special cool unique thing. I mean, who's out there getting a cat to retrieve a a bird that just uh, like i don't know maybe well, it I'm, happens if you're out there it's probably on youtube i gotta just gotta youtube it and i've seen got many i've there, seen
3: but... many a hounds trio mountain lion cat
0: yeah the reverse happens there you yeah go. yeah he's dogged seen down a cat <laughs> <laughs> super cool but are you are you
3: saying in so many words jim that you're don't like cats
0: um i mean i was kind of beating around the bush a little <laughs> bit I, I thought about at one point in time. I thought about
1: they're good. They're good for people who like cats,
0: right? If you have have mice, exactly. At one point in time, I thought about having a cat outside that would just hunt mice, and then I was like, "Yeah, but then I'd have to have a cat." (laughs) So that's that. That's that. That answered that question. That answered that question. Hey, you got
3: you got you guys. Picture this real quick, and I'll quit talking. Picture a truck pulling a trailer that has ten labs on it that are all going to. The, like the number one gymnastic event in the world or the number one contest or the competitiveness or the trial. Like this, this is happening daily guys. These trucks are rolling down the road with these trailers with all of these separate kennels in them. And when Brad stops and he opens the door and that dog comes out, that dog male or female knows it's go time. And then he goes back in that box and the next box is open and that one comes out. And they're like, literally this is happening. These dogs are high powered athletes that are traveling around our country and all the different regions of America and different, countries i'm sure but it's happening right now there's clark is out there with the dog right now lee howard's out there with a the dog right now at mossy pond and they're high level athletes that are training on a daily basis to be the best they can and we take that for granted man these dogs are working non-stop and when you see them come out of that trailer and, and, and get a ribbon you're like holy smokes man this is is the this is the coolest that it can get in the hunting world
0: that is cool that's awesome man dogs are cool i love dogs any more questions, Jim? No, I don't have uh, anything else. I can't, no. I mean, I could, we could oh, I got about- cho- We could talk your ear off about different breeds all day, I'm sure, because I'm so curious about like, because I always just think, you know, the fact that we have so many dog breeds and different specialties that they all have is amazing, but but we won't do that because that, that's probably, that's, a, that's another podcast for another time I and mean, we could go on forever, but um, really, really awesome stuff. Thank you guys for coming on. Appreciate it. Brad, thanks no. a lot.
1: Tons of great information, guys. Yeah, thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, I've got lots of ideas for uh, what I can do with my dog now.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> Anything else from you guys before we, uh, before we close this one out?
2: Mr. Mark, Mr. Jim, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for having me on. Mr. Chad, thank you for all all that you do for me in the business. And I just appreciate this opportunity to um, come on here and talk with you guys and would love to be invited back anytime. I, I appreciate all that y'all do for me.
1: No man, we'll have to we'll have to do it again. Like we said, there's the, the topics are infinite when it comes to this and there's so much interest in it and so many people have dogs and it's such a connection that people have, so I think yeah. we definitely have to have to do it again. And if anybody's interested in watching some awesome waterfowl hunting, check out the Fowl Life. If you want to hear some awesome podcasts, go to go to Chad's podcast uh, this life ain't for anybody. And if you've got a dog that you want to turn into a great hunting dog, check out Mossy Pond.
0: Yeah. And for the listeners out there too, this is the first time we've done a podcast dedicated to, well, other than the blood tracking dog one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that was a really cool one. You should go back and listen to that. But uh, but this is one of the first ones we've done, gone into training dogs. Let us know if there's other stuff you want to hear. Uh, maybe we can maybe we can get the guys back. So uh, drop that in the comments too. Awesome. With that said, I think we'll, we'll cap this one. Thanks everybody for listening. We appreciate it. Catch yep. you on the next one. Thanks everybody. Thanks guys.